The main purpose of doing this aspect of the 21 Tadas practice through chanting and more of a kirtan style is to uplift people just like kirtan does, right? So bring joy, open people's heart to the blessings of these Tadas and to Devi in a universal way. And also to help them remember the mantra because some of them are pretty long. They can be a little challenging to remember. Hey everyone, it's Raghu back with Mind Rolling with two extraordinary women that are joining me today. Nina Rao, who many of you, of course, know. Chandra Easton, who I'm just meeting in the last few weeks. I mean, of course, we, I know who Chandra is, uh, but we're just uh, meeting. And she has a wonderful book about Tara, embodying Tara, the goddess. And uh, we're going to chat about that. Oh, look. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> <laughs> but... Um, Actually, what I'd like to hear about first is just how the, how did you get into all this? Now, I know that you've been a student of a very good, f- close friend, Lama Tsultram Alioni, who I've known for a long, well, since the India days, too long. And uh, how did you even arrive at thinking, wow, I should really get to know who Tara is? How did you even get anywhere <laughs> near there? Uh-huh. Nice to be here with you and both of you. Uh, how did I get here? Well, I flew in from <laughs> outer space, as you can tell, <laughs> from a distant galaxy. Yeah, I like that. So, yeah, how did I get here? I, I, I feel like I had the good fortune to be raised in a Buddhist household. Uh-huh. Um, I guess you could call me first-generation Buddhist. Uh, my mom was convert Buddhist, right? So... Uh, she became a Tibetan Buddhist practitioner when I was very young, like around two or three. She dabbled in Zen before that, but landed with Chogyam Trungpa Rinpoche. Oh, really? I mean, that's, of course, you know, we back in the day were also had a relationship with Chogyam Trungpa Rinpoche. Mm -hmm. So to hear, yeah, this has gone down second generation from your, from your mom. (laughs) But yeah, what do you know about that? I mean, I, He's a controversial figure, some might say, not to me, nor to Ramdas for that matter. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. In fact, we have this phenomenal thing you might want to share with your mom at some point. Ramdas talked about the crazy wisdom teachings of Chogyam Trumpa Rinpoche and how he got so much flack for hanging out with him. How can you possibly hang out with this guy? guy who drinks and you know extramarital sex and all of it and his reply and his comments are just astoundingly great as you know Ramdas is really good at describing uh whatever yeah so do you have any memories of that time no no, no, I have memories just, of the Karmapa. She, oh, it really? wasn't really my mom's speed, you know. She, <laughs> my dad and her were in it for a little while. And then uh, when uh, Trungpa actually invited the 16th Karmapa to teach mm-hmm. in the West. I remember, yeah. And when she met him, it was you know, instant recognition of, oh, this is my teacher. So, oh, uh, you know, I hear you about the crazy wisdom. He did a lot of good. I know he's a controversial controversial figure not only in the west but also within the tibetan community i've spoken with some of my tibetan friends about that but he's benefited a lot of people and i think we could just leave it at that. Yeah. <laughs> you know i wasn't there <laughs> let's leave it to you and ramdas i think um so in <laughs> <Me and> ramdas <laughs> um but the karmapa so she took her and i took refuge with the karmapa and I remember the black crown ceremony. That's what he was Where? known for. He would uh, Where in, were you? in Hope Ranch, actually. Hope Ranch. How old were you, Chandra? Four. Four. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> that makes sense to me. 
I don't remember wanting to take refuge. Yeah, my mom <laughs> probably just took me up with her, but I remember him doing the black crown ceremony very vividly. Really? Yeah, it was That's quite, phenomenal. I think that planted the seed for me with Buddhism, with yoga, mm. with Tibetan Buddhism, with the mysterious side of reality. I put a sense of wonder in my imagination. I think it's the seed of why I mm. am here right now with you. And she taught, so my mom taught me about Tara. She oh, taught really? me the Tara mantra. And when I was a little girl, it was the first mantra I, I learned. And you, it was, I rock climbed as a teenager. My mom was like, recite the Tara mantra because she's the protectress. <laughs> she's the, she's, make sure you're safe. Uh, I mean, both of you grew up in extraordinary family. I, I mean, we're not really, uh, let's see, we should say something about Nina here just to yes, give context to <laughs> Nina, who I've known for a very long time and spent incredible moments with our Tara. Uh, in Kenchi, Sidima is her name, and uh, and she's right behind. And the the way in which I you know now understanding your family and I know Nina's I don't know Nina's family uh, that well in terms of her parents, um, but I do know the way that you were embraced as children and brought through in this manner that you just described is so opposite what happened to me when I grew up. You know, it's just amazing and, uh, and wonderful. You know, it's just wonderful to hear. So when you talk about 16th uh, Karmapa, I don't know if you know, I mean, there's some great stories about, um, about him in relation to Neem Karoli Baba. And yeah, not that they met or anything like that, but they both spoke of each other in in the highest uh, praiseworthy way. Mm -hmm. And when I met the 16th Karmapa, also at the Black Hat Ceremony, so this is, I think, what, 81 or something? 81, 2, something? I don't know. When were you born? <laughs> oh, yeah, you can't say that. No, Sorry. I'm cool with that. <laughs> I was born in the 70s. <laughs> um, right. but, so but I saw him in 77. I think he was in California, uh -huh. Hope so Ranch. He did, but he yeah. did a lot after that. That was one of the first yeah. times. When I got to. near, you know, because they put the kata, the scarf on, you know, and he gave darshan individually to everybody in a line going by. This was in Los Angeles, actually. Mm -hmm. And when I got about 10 feet from him, you know, in my, in line, I was in line and suddenly I have this powerful, uh, experience, uh, that I could never describe except in one way. Oh shit. That's Maharaji. It was the really? same spacious, um, unconditionality. I don't, I mean, that's, there's so many words, but they don't count much, unfortunately, but that was it. I knew that, that there was nothing different. It was just, it, which there can't be anything different from that place, you know, from Karmapa, Neem Karoli Baba. So, yeah, you got launched in a way at four years old. My God, you know, lucky gal. That's all I can say. Yeah, oh. I had I had his darshan via a film. Oh, really? Karmapa. Yeah. So yeah. that was yeah. It was uh, there was a series of films being shown. Um, I guess when maybe His Holiness Dalai Lama was giving teachings in Washington, D.C. some years ago. Oh, and yeah, we were a, all there. Yeah, We were together. Yeah. And um, there was a, there were a bunch of films about Karmapa, about Dilgu Khensi Rinpoche, like mm. lots of different mm. teachers. And when I saw the vision of 16th Karmapa on the screen, I just, I didn't stop crying through that entire film. Raghu, do you remember the name of the film that was made about 16th Karmapa? I can't remember. No. This, this, the no, name I, of it. yeah, anyway. just the book is, is what I, I would love. Oh, okay. That's, yeah. I hadn't even read the book. I didn't know mm. who he was. Mm. And um, later on, Chandra, um, I told Chandra about a dream that I had about 17th Karmapa. And um, I was sitting, I'm just interrupting this conversation just to kind of 
make my connections with both of you. Yeah. Um, in the dream, I was sitting up, you know, kind of like the ridge in Almora, Raghu, where you have, you're sitting on the mountain, then you can see the snow-capped in mountains. Himalaya, yeah. Yeah. So I was sitting there and I was wearing a nun's, like a Tibetan nun's dress. And 17th Karmapa was sitting next to me. And uh, he turns and whispers in my ear and says, if you listen carefully, I'll tell you everything you need to know. <laughs> and then Chandra told me, you may not remember this, Chandra, because then when I met, met Lama Tsultram and then got so, so kind of uh, overwhelmed by the presence in, that, in the Taramandala temple and the whole, that whole lineage, you explained to me what is the Kagyu lineage? Like how mm. is that transmitted? Which is whispering, right? Isn't yes. that what you said? Something yes. like that. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Wow. Ka means uh, voice or sound or even words. No. Yut means lineage. So ka yut is the oral lineage from master to studio. And mm -hmm. so he did that with you. In my dream. You had Darshan <laughs> with him on a film and in a dream. And Beautiful. in a dream. Yeah. Well. So that links also Lama Tsultrim because she yeah. took her nun's ordination vows with the 16th Karmapa. She was the first Western woman to be ordained as a nun by His Holiness, the 16th Karmapa. Yeah. And that. so that's why I also shared that with her when uh, we met and talked about that. It felt like a very auspicious uh, link because of the devotion. There was such a powerful lineage. Yeah. And, um, and what a great teacher he was. He is. He is. Yeah. Pretty amazing. Um, now, both uh, Nina and Chandra also, you have to tell me a little bit about the music that comes out of uh, this honoring of Tara and her emanations. Well, okay. So, gosh, we'll go back to the beginning. I remember I have another image of us standing in the temple of Taramandala with the 21 Pavas surrounding us. And then Machiglavdran, the founder of the Chud lineage, uh, 11th century Tibetan yogini, who was a very important teacher in Tibet, is the central figure, very large and, and uh, beautiful. So we're in this space and we're looking at the plaques underneath each of the Taras. I was working on them. That's one of the early seeds of this book, actually, was a project that Lama Tsultram uh, assigned to me to come to really craft, thank you, craft the names in both Tibetan, font, uh, English, Sanskrit, and then their mantras and their meanings. So I did all this research to really consolidate uh, so we could fit them on bronze plaques, which we have now, but it took years to get it right because there were so many different versions of spellings and mm. the mantra had to be just perfect. And so we finally settled on that. But when back in the day, Nina, when did you and Jen Aviv come with Krishna Das to our mandala that year? Was that? I I cannot remember the year honestly. It's it's hard for me to remember, but somewhere in the teens of the two thousands, right? Yeah, yeah something I like think that. So, like the sixteen, twenty sixteen, yeah, seventeen. And you know, I just want to describe also, like mm -hmm. I don't know, Raghu, if you've been to Taramandala, but no, I have not. No, it no. is really an exquisite expanse of land. It's one of those sacred. You know, when you've arrived there, that this is. Um, mm -hmm. A pilgrimage. It's a. It's all. It's a pilgrimage. There's there's a certain kind of magnitude, magne, magnetizing force uh, when you're there. And Lama Tsultrim tells a beautiful story about how she selected the land and all that, and mm -hmm. reminded her of like a female kind of presence because of the lay of the land and so on. But the temple that has been built there, it's like you've landed, <laughs> just like how Chandra is looking like she dropped from the sky like a star. In the same way, you land in Taramandala in this temple. And here you feel like you're in Tibet. It's, mm -hmm. it's all the art form, the way in which the murtis and everything, it's, it's pakka, like proper. Mm -hmm. And so you walk in there and it's round and you can meet and greet each of the 21 Taras. Like as you go walking around this circular kind of temple and Machik Labdron is 
the reigning uh, goddess in that temple. And all the three different levels of the different kayas, it's built really beautifully the way it is. And for me, I think um, seeing, you know, mantra is my mantra, <laughs> whatever that means. <laughs> but um, I love mantra of whatever kind. And so mm. when I saw those mantras under the the deities, and then you can visualize when you're looking at their the way in which the murtis are made, it was, it really struck me. It resonated so, um, so close. And I asked Chandra, I said, you know, do we recite these mantras? And she was in the early stages of putting those mantras together for people to see. And there was a little bit of description. But then since then, Chandra and I, you know, we have a interesting background, both of us, because she's also studied a lot of tradition from India, not just Tibetan Buddhism. You know, she studied with Indian uh, tradition teachers as well. So she's very interested in our Hindu lineage as well and chanting and all the mm. things and all the deities. So actually during the pandemic, we um, started doing these monthly uh, things with Tibet House where we talked about the sacred feminine and she taught about Tara and I talked about the goddess and we would weave the stories and see how in fact they're really not any different. And, you know, Professor Thurman also says about how all these teachings, you know, ultimately came from India and then took their own mm -hmm. shape mm. with yeah. influences from China and, and other countries. But so there's just, and then when you see these mantras in the Sanskrit, you can see them in the Tibetan as well, but in the Sanskrit, it doesn't feel like anything outside of my regular practice. But they are not set to music in the same way we do in India for Kirtan. Mm. And because Chandra loves singing, this idea kind of came about. There was a bud and then it blossomed and then she'll tell you the rest. Okay. <laughs> I love that. I love I love hearing your version of it. And it's I can really see. I have this memory of the three of us standing in the temple and you asked, do you sing to these? And I said, I have this, I have this aspiration to do an open source request to the universe for people to submit their melodies to the Tatas. And then I'm going to pick the best ones and put them out. And I think you and Jen said, no, we should do the melodies. I thought it was, I was like, really? Can we? Like, we could try. And we did. And uh, Nina wrote many, Jen wrote many. I wrote a few. And it's been such a wonderful journey. We went into the studio with, with Tina Malia up in Grass Valley, uh, about a city here in California in the Sierras, in her home studio back in May of, of 2023. Spent a long weekend and recorded our first seven. And we are just putting the finest finishing touches on oh, them. Really? And it's been such a beautiful experience. First time I've ever gone in the studio. I really love doing it with mm. uh, Nina and Genevieve. And Tino is such a master uh, mixer and amazing singer and musician. So mm. we will hopefully come out with those soon. And then we'll, our aspiration is to do the, the rest of the 14. We've written melodies for all the 21. Covers, oh, really? Wow. But we've only recorded seven so far. So it's been a really wonderful. We've had some guest musicians come in and, and do some wonderful work on it as well. But we're singing and, um, and leading those. And we are really looking forward to sharing them with people. The main purpose of doing this aspect of the 21 Tadas practice through chanting and more of a kirtan style is to uplift people just like kirtan does, right? So bring joy, open people's heart to the blessings of these Tadas and to Devi in a universal mm. way. And also to help them remember the mantra because some of them are pretty long. They can yeah. be a little challenging to remember. Mm -hmm. So I've definitely found that with these melodies, it's much easier to remember them, as we all know. And so we'll definitely share that in retreats or mm. um, meditative Environments. It's meant to be really a way to support people's practice more mm. than performance. It's well, there'll really be a Spotify, right? And there will be a Spotify. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> well, what about wait? Can we get a sample, Nina? As a way of invoking, like we want to, you know, really get into 
mm-hmm. what Tara represents and a couple of the different things that uh, we noticed in the book? Well, um, Chandra will tell you about the different aspects of Tara, yeah. but um, one of the original melodies that mantras that actually called to me very deeply was um, her name is Tashi Donjema. She's um, the 12th Tara. And she's a Tara who who is auspiciousness and brings about auspiciousness. Mm. Uh, she's also called Tara Mangal Artha. And um, the mantra is Om Tare Tu Tare Ture, just like you have in the 10-syllable mantra. And then there are these um, additional words, which is Mangalam, right? Auspiciousness. Mm. Shri, as in she who is auspiciousness. Mangalam, Shri, Maha, great, Pani. And I asked, uh, Chandra can correct me if I'm wrong, but um, Pani actually means hand, as I understand it. Yes. Um, And then, so it's almost as if we're asking for her. She's giving us a gift from her hand. Does that make sense, Chandra? Or right. something? The way yeah, I, okay. yeah, the way I interpret it is, but please bestow the gift, at right. Maha, the great gift of auspiciousness, right. Mahapani. Right. Mahapani Swaha. So mm-hmm. just as we were saying the mantra, um, I don't know, this melody sort of came to me and then it was sort of the one, I think maybe the first one that we recorded somehow and then it was mm-hmm. used, Lama Tsultrum is using it for her podcast introduction right now. Something that I recorded in the pandemic in my in oh, my yeah. house. So yeah. it's, um, it's very gentle and it's very uh, meditative and I'll just sing it for you sort of a cappella. Okay, wonderful. And you can hear what it sounds like. It's... Um, Om Tari Tu Tari Tu Re Mangalam Shri Mahapani Swaha Om Tari Tu Tari Tu Re Mangalam Shri Mahapani Swaha Om Tare Tu Tare Tu Re Mangalam Shri Mahapani Swaha Om Tare Tu Tare Tu Re Mangalam Shri Mahapani Swaha Like that. You want to so do that this, for another 10 minutes? I will. Um, <laughs> but this, you know, this, I'm remembering when this came about particularly, it was during the pandemic or maybe even, maybe before, I can't remember, but all the wildfires were happening mm-hmm. on the West Coast, you know, mm-hmm. and it was, and this Tara is invoked. Um, she's also harmonized. She brings about harmony. Nina, for those of you who don't know, which... I, of course, find that hard to believe, but, uh, uh, you know, I have to realize we have a a broad group of people here and you might get nicely surprised because Nina has some wonderful uh, kirtan and bhajan records that are available through Spotify. And she (laughs) is with us at almost every retreat. We missed you the last retreat, but she dumped us for a trip to India. And, uh, yeah... (laughs) Please do look her up because it's just a wonderful, uh, transformational sounds. Thank you, Raghu. You have been my one of my greatest cheerleaders. I appreciate that. <laughs> so, Chandra, who is Tara, and how do we can we relate with Tara? We, meaning, have no idea about anything having to do with Tibetan Buddhism, none of the scriptures, nothing whatsoever. But mother is mother. I know that mm-hmm. much. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, I do know a little bit of Tibetan Buddhism, but how how can we avail ourselves of the opportunity of digging in to understand this representation of the divine feminine? Mm-hmm. Tara is 
the great mother. Uh, some would say she is an emanation of Yung Chenmo or Pragya Paramita in Buddhism, the, uh, the wisdom mother, the womb of totality. Pragya uh, Paramita literally means the perfection of wisdom, and it's a philosophical um, teaching, you know, found in the, the sutras like the Heart Sutra. And yet in the Tantric era, Pragya Paramita, which means the perfection of wisdom, became embodied as a goddess. And Buddhism started to turn towards the enlightened feminine as a very important, <clears throat> excuse me, aspect of uh, realization, of reality, of our own nature of mind, more so than in earlier movements of, of Buddhism. And I think it's really a phenomena that, that pervaded all of India at this time during medieval India and Tantra began to really grow out of the soil of India, um, the continent, subcontinent, South Asia. And it was like spirituality for the people, right? We know that around Hindu and Buddhist Tantra, same thing. Like in Hinduism that was experiencing uh, sort of like too much solidification or structure that limited people's direct access, you could say, to the divine. Through mm. You had to go through a Vedic priest. Women weren't really allowed to access that so much. And then Tantra arose and started to open things up. Same thing happened in Buddhism, where it had been really monasticized, institutionalized. So Tantra was a beautiful uh, evolution and it's called the Vajrayana, the diamond vehicle of Buddhism, the third developmental phase that started around five, six, seven hundred CE. And it's around that time that Hara um, you know, descended onto the scene in India. It's a little debatable about where and how exactly, but there is evidence of her in India around the 7th century. And there are Hindu expressions of Tara, Ugra Tara, it's like the fierce dark Tara, very much linked to Durga. Durga. Yeah. Tara literally means uh, she who transcends. Tara is the root pro, which means to uh, to move across or to trans transition. It's the same root, actually, as our Indo-European Tra. It's a Tara. And she also means star. And in that way, Tara is said to be as infinite as the stars in the sky and manifesting in a myriad of different ways for the benefit of beings. And so this Tara teaching went to Tibet um, in various different ways with one of the early princesses who went from uh, Nepal, actually, and married a Tibetan king. Her name was Drakuti. And which is actually one of the names of one of the Taras. It means the bent brow or the furrowed brow goddess. And then also Atisha, one of the greatest Mahayana um, scholars and teachers who brought the mind training. Um, Lojong practices to, from India to Tibet in the 11th century. Imported Tara and the devotion to Tara that he carried within his heart. Uh, she was his Ishta Devata, his primary tutelary deity, Yidam in Tibetan. And she told him, go to Tibet, you'll benefit many people. So he brought teachings and texts that were focused on white Tata and green Tata. And it's at that time that her, um, her tradition, her practice, her worship, you could say, uh, took, took root and blazed forth all throughout Tibet. She's like the matron saint of Tibet. And she's, you know, she's like Mother Madonna, you could say, um, for the Catholics. And so how do we access her, you ask? Well, I think that in the same way that we do in, in the yoga practices of bhakti, of opening our heart, of praying with devotion, she's said to be swift like the wind and coming to aid beings who open their hearts to her. So she has that quality of the wind element, especially green kata. And in this 21 Tara pantheon here, the, the, from the Nyingma elders tradition, she's the ninth Tara. So if you have the book, <clears throat> you can read that chapter on her. Uh, Nina wrote a beautiful melody for the ninth Tara as well. 
but also Tara is the nature of our own mind in that in Buddhist parlance, you could say, like Brahman and that experience of transcendence of the divine within all of us. And so when we do her mantra and meditate to her, pray to her, there's a phase in Buddhist meditation where we then dissolve, she dissolves into us and we get to feel what it's like to have kata within us and we become her. <laughs> and as her, we recite her mantra. And we imagine her enlightened activities uh, traveling out from our heart on rainbow light bringing benefit to all beings through compassion, joy, love, protection, so many different enlightened activities. And we get to embody that. And that's really why my book is called Embodying Tara, because it's all about embodiment. How do we embody mm. and feel and sense those enlightened qualities within ourselves? And uh, But then at the final phase of, a, of the sadhana, you see at the end of every chapter, I have a very concise, direct way to meditate on each tata you then dissolve as tata and rest in open awareness rest in a spacious sense of being being one with everything for lack of a more original phrase nowadays but it's a good one and resting in that natural state that ground of our being buddha nature one could say the great mother and that is our deepest nature all of us no matter our gender identity so through sadhana, we can embody and meet her, but also just through closing our eyes and opening our heart and say, oh, Tara, please help me. You know, it's another way, you know, to connect with her. You know who Jetson Palmo is? That yes, wonderful British yes, lady? Yes, I studied who... with her. Oh, She's been to Taramandala. She's uh -huh. an old friend of Mama Sultran. Yeah, wonderful, no, I know. wonderful I did a, teacher. Yeah, she is. I did a podcast with her. Mm. I mean, she lived in a cave for 12 years, okay? She Everybody did. out there. This is yeah. this woman has more courage and fortitude than anyone I ever met. Almost, um, but you know what she said? She said mm -hmm. all of the major um, Lama yogis, as far as it's concerned, Tara is who they worship. Period. That's right. That's you know? right. So, and it all, yeah, go. Oh, please. Okay. So, well, a lot of people know about white Tara or green Tara, maybe yeah. red Tara, but many people don't know that there are, A, 21 Tara's as found in the 11th century Indian Tantric text, Buddhist Tantric text that came from India, celebrating Tara, the great mother, you could say, the divine feminine, in 21 different aspects and those those stanzas to the Tadas is called the the text is called the Twenty One Praises to Tada. It was memorized by children in Tibet at a young age and recited every morning and or night in families all across Tibet. It was a part of their life and devotion. I just studied with a wonderful teacher, hmm. Kempo Tsewan Dungyal Rinpoche. He wrote the foreword to my book, Nina, and I met him and received no. his blessings and his oral transmission of these texts, by the way. Wow. <laughs> he has a wonderful center in upstate New York called Hema Samye Ling, a beautiful place for deep retreat, and mm. I would recommend it. And his teachings are divine. Does he speak English? He teaches in English. That's also really? what's so golden about him is he's brilliant and he's a living, walking, talking Avalokiteshvara. Really? He is a being of great compassion. So inspiring, so loving. And he teaches in English because he used to be the translator for his older brother, Kenshin Palden Shera, who was a reincarnation in Toku. And so um, Kempo Rinpoche's job was to be his translator. They used to travel around together and give teachings and empowerments. But then unfortunately, Kenshin Palden Shera died at not too uh, old of an age, uh, about maybe 10 years ago. And so now he continues and teaches and runs the center. But the reason I'm saying this is because he, this, he tells a story that his mother used to make him recite the praises to 21 Tadas. It maybe only takes a few minutes once you memorize it. Mm. I think seven times before each meal. <laughs> and his, their father was like a yogi, his great teacher, Mama Chimed. And he was teaching them Dharma. 
And the joke in the family was, our father doesn't let us sleep because he'd make them practice and study at night. And our mother doesn't let us eat. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so that gives you an example of how devoted the Tibetans are. And so, but they ultimately say there are as many Tadas as there are stars. So really it's just a, in a sense, not arbitrary, it's a a beautiful structure of the 21 Tadas. But really originally the stanzas in that text started as hymns or devotional stanzas to Tada in her many different forms. And then later they became more, you could say, for good, in a good way, solidified as murtis, as unique expressions through paintings, ankas, and ritual objects so we could visualize them, pray to them. And they probably were appearing to people in their meditative experiences and then were recorded. Hmm. Um, but I like that also understanding that originally it was, it, there are 21 different praises to the Great Mother as Tadu. Yeah. In my book, I translate those praises and they're at the beginning of every chapter. I thought it would be nice to talk about the second Tata because there's overlap with oh. uh, Hindu uh, goddesses Saraswati. She is the Buddhist version of Saraswati. Uh-huh. And Nina composed um, a beautiful melody to that. I don't know if Nina would like to sing that. Maybe I could read her her praise and read a little bit about her from the book. Yeah, uh, Just a, a paragraph Nina or so. And then she read. could sing. Yeah. You like that? Like okay. Good. Okay, the second Tara is Tara the Melodious One, the treasure of intelligence, is the English adapted from the Tibetan. Her Sanskrit is Tara Vajra Saraswati. Vajra means adamantine, like Vajrayana. And Saraswati, of course, is the, the goddess of speech, of wisdom. And the Tibetan is Droma, Lome, Droma Loter Yang Chenma the melodious one, the treasure of intelligence. The homage goes, Homage to you, Mother Tata, whose face is like a hundred full autumn moons gathered. A thousand stars clustered fully reveal your brilliant radiance. Tata Vajra Saraswati is the goddess of music, art, science, eloquence, and wisdom. Thus, one could say she is the arts and sciences Tara. Not only does she promote success among philosophers, scholars, and artists, but she also leads one to the highest aim of all, supreme enlightenment. She blesses us with her gifts of insight, poetic inspiration, intuition, and artistic skill. Granting charming language and a beautiful voice, she also heals speech defects. She is white, like a hundred full autumn moons gathered. And she is peaceful and smiling, an embodiment of brilliant radiance, ablaze like a thousand stars. What a sight to behold. Who wouldn't want to meet, let alone embody this majestic goddess? And I go on to explain her name in Sanskrit and in Tibetan, and it's a longer chapter than normal because I love Saraswati. I studied her in in Mm. graduate school and I had some of my research from a while ago and I was able to weave it in, really tying in both the Hindu and the Buddhist Saraswati, very similar themes as you can see. And uh, it's a very interesting history of how they overlap. So I have to read the chapter to learn more, but... She, she, I have in each chapter, I have an exploration of her iconography, meaning her symbolism, mm. uh, her symbol that she has atop her lotus flower. Each Tata has a Utpala, which is a blue lotus flower atop, held in their left hand and blooms above their left shoulder. And this Tata, Saraswati, has a ritual mirror atop her lotus flower. And that mirror is meant to reflect the nature of our mind. But it also represents the nature of mind, meaning that we, our nature of mind has the ability to reflect all manner of appearances, and yet it itself is not sullied or changed by those appearances. So in that, that is a teaching. And on the ritual mirror is the syllable hring or hring, 
it's one of her seed syllables in the Buddhist tradition. I know it's, it's a little different often in the Hindu tradition. Mm. Maybe Nina, you could talk about that and teach us the mantra. So I just wanted to comment about what you said before about when you were talking about the 21 Tara's praises, of, 21 praises of Tara and how actually the iconography might have happened later. Mm-hmm. And mostly the goddesses worship more as like a cosmic force and not, not in a solidified sort of form. And same is the case actually in the Indian Hindu tradition because, um, you know, I'm studying Veda chanting. And so the goddesses appear there. And we know they're goddesses not because they're described as having a particular shape or form, but just simply by the, the fact that the word is a feminine word. It's like a grammatical thing. Mm-hmm. But the, the force, the, the energy itself is very similar to then what comes down over the ages and then the the creation of Saraswati um, in her form as as someone who helps us study, you know, creative support and and all those things. But um, I just found it interesting that Saraswati and Durga, they show up in the Veda, but they have no form. There's no description of what they're like. Nobody's riding a tiger or, you know, sitting in a lotus or any of those things that comes later in the Puranic tales. So not, not, mm. not in the Veda, but they have the same um, elements in terms of the way you dis- the way they're described and how, how we invoke them and why we invoke them. So Durga is a protectress just as she is later on, you know, same mm-hmm. thing. So this uh, mantra for Saraswati um, is Om Tare Tu Tare Ture. Sometimes I have to sing it to remember it. Why don't you say the mantra, (laughs) Chandra? (laughs) (laughs) And if you've just sung one, it's hard to get the other one in your head, right? Yeah, yeah. It's uh, Om Tare Tu Tare Ture, Ragnya Ring Ring. Right which could be translated if you were to translate a mantra, which we don't always do. Om Dara, be swift, Dara. Supreme wisdom. Ring, ring is their seat syllable too. So be it. So this uh, mantra is also something that just kind of arose. I think it might have actually arisen right there in the right in Tara Mandalas, like standing there looking at Vajra Saraswati. And then ultimately we recorded it, Raghu, with um, with uh, one of your favorite people, which is Uma, my daughter. <laughs> <laughs> really? She's very sweet with Uma. Yeah, she's singing it with me. Oh, Chandra and uh, Genevieve really wanted her to to chant that with me. Mm. So she's on there. And and we have Benji, who you also oh. know, Benji Wertheimer. He's oh, also it. singing and playing and playing yeah. Esraj. It's, it's a really beautiful track. Wow. Mm-hmm. So this one is, um, let me see if I can do this. It's a little, it's very invocational in the way it is. So it's like, goes like this. Om Tare Tu Tare Ture Pragna Hring Hring Swaha Om Tare Tu Tare Ture Pragna Hring Hring Swaha Om Tare Tu Tare Ture Pragna Hring Hring Swaha Om Tare Tu Tare Ture Pragna Hring Hring Swaha Om Tare Tu Tare Ture Pragna Hring Hring Swaha Om Tare Tare Ture 
be a great record. When are we going to get this record, as they used to say? This one is done, isn't it? Is it done? Almost. No, I mean all 21. I know. Well, okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we, I we, think we... Go ahead, Chuck. Well, we had debated, should we drop one and then the oh, month yeah. later drop another because yeah, people do it like that? Uh, yeah, or yeah. should we release them as the seven? Because we've only recorded the seven. Uh-huh. Uh, we need to fundraise for the rest. Actually, we're going to oh, do like okay. a Kickstarter and, and ask people to contribute yeah. so we can keep going and finish the project. Oh. And then also the idea is to then further beyond that, raise funds for women and girls in India and Nepal mm. and Tibet to help uplift um, women and girls in those areas associated with this tradition, right? So that is our hope, our longer term goal. And so you will get them soon. You'll get this beautiful <laughs> one that Nina... Both of the ones Nina sang are on this first collection of the mm-hmm. seven that we'll release, I hope, within the first half of this year. But Nina, uh-huh. you know better than I do how long it takes to master and everything. <laughs> <laughs> you know how it is, Raghu. He's, Raghu's been in the music business forever, so he knows um, mm-hmm. what it takes to put together something like this and to make sure everyone is satisfied. Because there's input also from so many, you know, the three of us, each of us has our own melodies, our own renditions, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. But mm-hmm. it's happening. It'll happen. And I'm hoping that, you know, we're trying to sometime bef- around the early summer, let's just say, something mm. like that. Well, we'll let everybody yeah. know, absolutely, yeah. at that time. I love that. Through the whole Love Sir mm-hmm. family. Yeah, and for sure. And be here now, Network. Um, I, I want to mention something else before mm-hmm. we have to close. Uh that's really important. It's something I um, I love what you did here. If you so the eighth Tara, this is mm. represents the invincible heroine, right? Uh, what you talk about in terms of uh, within her realm, this particular realm of the eighth Tara. And you talk about dealing with um, Mara, mm-hmm. some of the demons, right? And yeah. I like to maybe call it obscurations, obfuscations and obscurations, all of it. Sure. <laughs> um, and you talk about, and I just picked this up as I, I was going through, doubt a is a powerful Mara. There she is. Bring her closer because we haven't explored a wrathful, our fierce Tara yet. And I'm glad you brought her up because I want people to see that they can yeah. also be powerful in a different way. The yeah. two prior ones we've talked about, Nina saying we're peaceful. So there mm. are fierce Tara's, there's semi-fierce, mm. semi-peaceful Tara's. Well, this needs that uh, yeah. for what we're talking about in the transformational. Um, but anyhow... Doubt is a powerful Mara demon because it is particularly effective at casting a shadow over our confidence and fortitude to fulfill our destiny, our dharma. We can unlearn this negative self-talk and replace it with something truer, our essential goodness and lovability. And what you mentioned previously but fits here perfectly and is really part of the lexicon that we're all working through the fact that, you know, with uh, um, uh, you say negative states and can be rewired through neuronal pathways. So neuroscience is showing the possibilities and this is something... I talk to people about all the time, people, you know, scientists and so on and and, and spiritual teachers. The reality is that we can absolutely convert these habitual patterns. (laughs) We can get out. We can deal with neurotic tendencies. And that plasticity is real. And 
this is a book like this and some of the each each one of these aspects of Tara can relate to an aspect inside ourselves that can be either promoted or transformed, in this case transformed, by practice using this particular uh, manifestation of the of the divine. I just wanted to say that. Yes, the powerful techniques of yeah. the Vajrayana are so, they're made for this. They're made, this is their purpose, just like a lot of other of the contemplative sciences. Mm. They're made to help us work with the mind, mind working with mind, mind transforming mind. It's Medication can help, other things can help, but really it comes down to us to sit down or lie down or figure out how to be with ourselves and to transform and befriend, really, to yield yeah. to and befriend in the most profound way so that we can include and, in a sense, like transmute those afflictive emotions. If I, the maras of the obs, mental obscurations is another way of saying that the yeah. ignorance, anger, doubt, conceit, yeah. A desire, a clinging, and, uh, and jealousy, competitiveness. Those are the classic five, but all sorts of them emanate out from that. And then in the book, I also give examples of real-life women. This was a really important yeah, that's part cool of the too. book I love that me. part, yeah. Yeah, the yeah, whole absolutely. book was a joy to research. I really, actually really enjoyed doing all this research. But reading about women who possibly could be in the book, who represent... Mm. Yeah, the Tatas was so inspiring to yeah, me. They yeah, Buddhist, non-Buddhist, historical, yeah. current yeah. women from all around the world. It's not just Buddhist women. Well, in this particular chapter, yeah. the, the eighth mm. Tara and your real life embodiment is Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Right. So right. I think people yeah. can immediately identify with what this eighth Tara represents. Because well, me, we know her fairly well in this country, for sure. Let me explain it, because some people are like, I'm still mad at Ruth Bader Ginsburg for not for retiring leader. earlier. Oh, yeah. you know. But And what I say at the beginning of the book is, these women, not like us, not a, they're not perfect. You know, they, We have flaws, and these women are meant to be idolized as perfect Buddhas. Mm. But they embody certain aspects of each of yeah. the Tadas. Because this Tada, the invincible heroine, is, I call her the justice Tada. She's all about justice and overcoming injustice in many forms. And Ruth Bader Ginsburg was a very, very profound advocate for gender justice in particular. Mm. And later became more um, up and up on, you know, indigenous uh, rights and other aspects, yeah. racial justice that maybe she wasn't so savvy in in the beginning. So there's some critique of her. But I talk about that and how she transformed as she... I learned more mm -hmm. and actually became a very big advocate. Then the other one is Marsha P. Johnson, who mm -hmm. is um, was a transgender, gender nonconforming person. Yeah, never her. heard of her. That was a enlightening. Mm -hmm. She stood for justice for other individuals. Really, they helped to give rise to the LGBTQ plus movement mm -hmm. that we know of yeah. today. So I wanted to include her. Um, she was born in 1945 and died in 1992. Yeah. So you'll learn about people you've never heard of, and then some people will be familiar. Yeah, but what mm -hmm. it does also is it brings it down into a, um, a grounding of what this can mean for an individual in their growth on a day-to-day -day basis, spiritual growth. You can connect with these people. It's not an esoteric thing, although there are esoteric, fairly esoteric mantras that Nina's just recited. Um, but it, yeah, it brings it into a much more a practical way. Okay, how can I relate with this? And which brings me to we talk about Durga and Tara being synonymous. And Nina and I experienced this in spades uh, in India uh, when Neem Karoli Baba left. And then suddenly there was, he left mother. We knew about her while she was, but she just never came out and sat with us or anything like that while Maharaji, we called him, was alive. And then suddenly she did. And for decades and decades till, what, Nina, seven years ago, I guess, something like that, when she left. 
And we got to experience what you've been expressing through the different stories and so on or the different manifestations of Tara. We got to experience that on a moment-to-moment basis. I mean, I look back on it now. I mean, it was like she was like our mother. So it wasn't that it was awesome and yet completely family at the same time, right? Mm. Does that say it, um, Nina? I mean, we were you know, very I think fortunate. We we were. Um, I think you also had a sort of a longer history with her than me, you know, because you had mm. seen her uh, when she was with Maharaji and when you all were much younger and she was much younger. Um, by the time I met her in 1998, she was already... Maharaji wasn't there. I went looking for Maharaji in, <laughs> in Kenchi and I found her. And, um, you know, for me, she is all those things. You know, she is the my my mother who holds my hand, but she's also the great space, you know, without center, without periphery of the great mother, you know, of that space in which we live, the compassionate, wise space in which we live in which we live and who lives within us, you know, and that she really installed herself. Now I have to just have to like clear myself out of the way <laughs> so I can fully understand what that is mm-hmm. um, by being in her presence. And um, one thing I just want to share, um, because this is a prayer that is in the Chandi part, which is the 700 verses in praise of Durga. Uh, that's chanted at the during Navratri, and uh, one of the prayers that I I chant is called Devi Pranam, and basically it takes the essence of um, all the seven hundred verses in praise of Durga and puts it in a few verses, but the very last um, two lines is uh, Isha Namataram Devim. Ishwarim Ishwarapriyam. Um, I'm going to find this in one second. Again, when I can't sing it, I can't remember it. Okay, here we go. Isha Namataram Devim Ishwarim Ishwarapriyam Pranatosmi Sada Durgam Samsara Saran Samsara Navatarinim. So Tari, right there. Tara's right there. Tarinim. And the translation is the mother of the Supreme Consciousness, the goddess who is the Supreme Consciousness, beloved by the Supreme Consciousness, we always bow to Durga, the reliever of difficulties, who takes us aspirants across the difficult sea of objects and their relationships. Mm-hmm. So that is that is Tara. That's you know, and she's doing that in her 21 forms, and she's doing it in her infinite forms as as Devi as well. So, you know, we have so many facets of this jewel that we can reflect on. Yeah. In her all these in all these forms. God is good, as they say. Right. Mama Tiltrum says, let go, let Tata. (laughs) (laughs) A spin on the old saying, let go, let God. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Oh, that's so great. Well, thank you. And that's her boat. It, her vehicle is the boat. And uh-huh. so her image is she who traverses, helps beings traverse yes. across the ocean of samsara yeah. in mm. Vajrayana and Tantric Buddhism as well. So I love that you shared that. And that's one of my favorite verses. When we do those Tibet house courses, when we did, Nina would always sing that. Mm. Oh, that's so great. Well, again, thank you both for being here, hanging out with me. It's been a delight and uh, yeah, we have to uh, have high expectations to hear (laughs) the Tara chants when they come. So Mm -hmm. we'll have to let everybody know and everybody, you'll be able to go to BeHereNowNetwork.com slash mindrolling and look at the show notes and see the links so that you can get with uh, this wonderful book, Embodying Tara. I want to say, Raghu, I think... Another thing that's important to mention about Chandra's book, um, like all sacred scripture and texts and this type of um, scriptural stuff that 
comes down through old lineages, it's very important for it to be refreshed and renewed in the current day. Mm, yeah. Um, and with that kind of understanding so that it's more accessible to people. And the way in which Chandra has done that by seeking the blessings of the teachers from the traditional lineages mm. and then bringing it into her life and through her practice, being able to transform it into these words and this sadhana in this book is very important. Mm. Yeah. You know? Um, and so while we might have read about Tara in other forms, in other books, in older texts or different authors, it's important to also see it through her eyes and feel her in this way. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And especially connecting it with people that everybody knows or not everybody, but in some cases like Greta Thunberg, right? That's in, in there. The 12th Tara. Most people do. Mangalarpa. Yeah, the 12th Tara. So thank you, thank you, thank you. And everybody, we shall see you next week on Mind Rolling. Go to BeHereNowNetwork.com and catch, well, Lama Tsultram. We did a wonderful thing. So uh, there's there's something with <laughs> Krishnadas, Lama Tsultram, and myself that we put out as a podcast that uh, you would enjoy. It was really quite something. So we will see you next week. And again, thank you both. Thanks, Rangu. 